Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, and review. Hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored, as always, by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy, Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, Doc? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast version 202, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. That is correct. What if we just did the entire podcast talking like that? It would last about 15 minutes. <laughs> I know people be like, okay, it was funny at first, but now it's just really annoying. <laughs> we do have a lot to discuss. It, it, it's that weird time of year where there's really not any any football going on. I don't really consider the Pro Bowl to be football. We're one week away from Super Bowl 56, so we've got that coming up, and we'll be covering that a lot this week. We've got the NBA trade deadline right around the corner. Just a, a few little things that we're going to get into, what we've been reading, some different things here on this version of the podcast. But none of this is possible at all without our sponsors. And this is one of those calls that you may never have to make it may be one of those calls that out of the blue you realize you need to make. That is a call to Robert Greening and the Green team at Greening Law. If you've been hurt in a car accident, if unfortunately you experienced malpractice at a physician, at a hospital, if you're injured on the premises of a business, they handle a variety of cases. And if something like this has happened to you, the best thing you can do, like I did, is to pick up the phone and give Greening a call. No, that's the best thing you do. And to pick up the phone and make that call cost you nothing not a not a nickel not a dime not a penny and then what you do is you tell them what the, the details of your case and they 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 examine it they study it they see if they want to bring you on as a client if they do good for you because they don't get paid unless you get paid and they're so thorough so detailed that as matt can tell you they provide you answers to questions frankly you didn't even know were supposed to be asked that's exactly right and as you said man that consultation is absolutely free 972-934-8900 again that number is 972-934-8900 it's robert greening offices dallas texas so we start, and like I said, it is kind of a weird week just because we're wrapping up football season and we got to go all the way till August, and there's going to be a lot happening throughout the course of the NFL season. As we know by now, there are very few downtimes in the NFL. But the NFL, there's a couple of things we'll get to here. First is the memo that Roger Goodell put out. And it's really interesting because like, I, my first thought was, well, why didn't they just do that originally? Like, what was the point of what they originally put out 
when this Brian Flores stuff came out and the NFL kind of released this thing. And then like three days later, Goodell puts out this thing where it's a commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion, talking about how they're going to go through all this and just a variety of things addressing everything. Like he even puts in this, in this memo here, we understand the concerns expressed by coach Flores and others this week. While the legal procedures move forward, we will not wait to reassess and modify our strategies. I was like, I mean, that, why didn't you put this out to begin with? Because uh, they were being seven-letter cuss words, and uh, they tried to act like it didn't have any merit whatsoever. I mean, they actually said without merit in their first press release. And, uh, you know, I think the general consensus of those who people who weren't overreacting was that they just sent you a 58-page lawsuit, and within an hour, you're like, oh, it's without merit. Like, yeah. you haven't investigated any of the charges, any of the claims, nothing. You just said, ah, not, 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 no merit. And, I mean, anybody with a clue is like, what are you talking about, man? Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. You, I mean, you at least got to go investigate and have some interviews and find out for yourself. Yeah, you would think so. And, and I mean, this is what I kind of expected, honestly, when all of this started to come out last week. I thought the NFL's initial reaction would be more like, what Roger Goodell in the office put out a couple of days later reading this memo. I mean, this is what makes sense to me, that they're going to address all these different things and trying to find ways to promote diversity, taking a look at their various programs and policies to see how can they change things to, you know, reevaluate and examine all this type of thing to make everything more inclusive somehow. I, I don't know what the answer is with this, but the NFL, obviously, it's almost like they got into a room and they finally go, hey, guys, uh, we're kind of screwed on this. So instead of coming out and deny, 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 let's just say, hey, let's let's put out something really positive that people can get behind. Well, I mean, that's the best thing to do, man. Uh, it's to say, hey, we're looking to see where we can get better. We're looking to see what kind of flaws there are in the system. We're looking to see, you know, what what it is that is allowed the, the current landscape to occur. I mean, that's what you would do if you're trying to help. But like most of the things, man, you get accused of something and you get so on the defensive that you forget about, well, let's just see what, what it is. Maybe maybe there's something there. Maybe there's not. So, again, the NFL, we all know at this point has got, uh, and we knew this. We knew this was already a colossal program or problem, rather, and, and now – I think more light being shed on this. And I'll, I'll actually be really curious to see if this thing gets to a point, and this is something that like you read any of those legalese type people like Michael McCann, if this lawsuit with Flores gets to a point where they have to get into discovery and get guys under oath, then all of a sudden, I mean, this could really blow open. Well, I think that's probably his primary goal. Can, can you get it to that point where you can start getting people under oath? Because then you can you can ask questions that that can maybe lead to some real change and you get behind behind the scene information you know what i mean and you can really get people to to admit what's going down and how the thing really how the sausage really gets made as we like to say from time to time and that's a hard thing to do because it's one thing to allege and it's another thing to have things that are against you know legally against the law and so you know it's a uh, i think it's a tough burden but he's got expensive lawyers <laughs> who are there to do it, man. Yeah. So I think he's got a shot. Yeah, the the other thing to get into here with the NFL, as many know, and I kind of thought this was funny, Jacques and I are recording this on Sunday afternoon. The Pro Bowl is about to start, and, and neither one of us was like, well, what about the Pro Bowl? And I, I have to say, 
I read an article somewhere about this because I did wonder, at this point, why doesn't the NFL just say, hey, you guys are pro bowlers, that's awesome, but we're not actually playing a game. There's not going to be a pro bowl game. But apparently they keep doing it because it actually makes money for the league. And we know that's what the billion-dollar NFL is all about. How much yeah. money can you make? Um, I think it's cool maybe if you get in there the first time or the second time. But after that, man, nobody wants to play. And it's not even a representative game. You know, by the time the game is played, and, you know, a lot of times you're down to your fifth alternate at quarterback, yeah. your sixth alternate at tackle and defensive end. And these guys aren't trying to uh, – they're not playing real football. No. Um, you know, they're trying to avoid getting hurt. I mean, it's, it's a sham of a game. It used to be a good game. Uh, I used to look forward to it. Oh, my God, the Pro Bowl. Yeah, 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 yeah. But football has evolved even more and more and more into such a physical game, man. Ain't nobody trying to do anything that puts themselves in jeopardy in the Pro Bowl, which means it's pointless. It is. And, and to your point, I mean, so, so you go through this and you say, okay, Pro Bowl – matter like for voting and, and when you start looking and you make the case for guys getting into the hall of fame and stuff the like, oh, he was a nine-time pro bowl or whatever and a lot of the times some of that is really obvious but like this year for instance you look at the nfl there's 16 teams in each league well five quarterbacks in the nfc are pro bowlers and that's after dak turned it down so really five quarterbacks yeah tom brady aaron Rodgers, kyler murray kirk cousins and russell wilson are all official pro bowlers this year because yeah. of alternates and because of guys that aren't going to play in this and, and vice versa that decided, hey, you know, you have your initial real pro bowlers. And then when those guys decide not to play, then they go down the list, which when Dak turned it down, he's not considered a pro bowler. So then they go to Kirk, they go to Kirk Cousins and they go to Russell Wilson. They're like, yeah, I'll play. And now you get to add a pro bowl to your resume. And Dak doesn't, which is really strange. <laughs> I mean, for real, it, that's that to me is is something that I find really weird about this. Dude, it's like all district teams, man, where they got eight quarterbacks and nine running backs because they don't want to make anybody mad. Uh, this is more about guys backing out because they don't want to get hurt. But the bottom line is your best players aren't playing in the Pro Bowl, and right. to me that makes it kind of pointless. Like, think about this, for instance, and th this is a real thing that I am about to unveil to everybody. Kirk Cousins is a three-time Pro Bowler. The last two times that he has been named to the Pro Bowl, including this year, he was an alternate named because one of the guys that was actually supposed to play into the game decided not to play. Actually, all three times. All three times Kirk Cousins has been a Pro Bowler in his career, he was an alternate because somebody else stepped away or didn't want to play, and they had to go down the list. So somehow we, we go, well, Kirk <laughs> Cousins is a three-time Pro Bowler, but he's not really. Dude, and five years after he's retired, nobody's even going to know. Hell, he's playing right yeah. now, and I didn't know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, he was one of the guys, again, after they went to Dak and he turned it down, then Kirk Cousins was next. So, generally speaking, you, you have the, the starter, and then at the quarterback position anyway, you have the starter, and then you have two reserves. So, you, you really have three quarterbacks that are pro bowlers. Well, then they go down the list, and whoever wants to come in is also named a pro bowler, and you wind up with ridiculous amounts of pro bowlers that aren't really pro bowlers. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what the solution is. Why you have a game? But I wouldn't be, you know, I, I mean, it wouldn't bother me at all if they did away with it. Like, I have 
haven't thought one moment about the Pro Bowl this week before we started talking about it. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I, I had completely forgotten about it today. And then when we sat down to do the podcast and I was scrolling through Twitter, I was like, oh, my God, the Pro Bowl starts at 2 o'clock. <laughs> and I have, I mean, just, it doesn't even cross my mind. And I used to like it when I was younger because I like seeing all the different helmets out there. I actually think that that visual is a really cool thing. But the game itself is trash. It's stupid. It doesn't even make sense. No. And it hasn't in a long time. Like, I can't even remember the last time it was a real game. And so, uh, you know, it, um, <laughs> it's – I mean, I, I guess it serves some purpose because it's making the league money. And if you're a first or second time player, you're pretty excited about it. But other than that, man, it's in Vegas now. So, yeah. it, you know, it can't be a fun trip and it's not quite so expensive. Because I remember guys with the Cowboys used to tell me, you know, it's great to go to the Pro Bowl, but you end up losing money on a deal. Uh, it's like going to a bowl game right. because, yeah, you get a check, but by the time you uh, you bring your family over and they go, all the meals are you know up priced a thousand percent at all the restaurants while you're in town. He goes, you end up losing money on the deal. Yeah, I can see how that would be, and and, and again, like I said, I mean, it, it's there's so many different weird little angles to it, and you look at a guy like Dak, who officially is a two time Pro Bowler. And now Kirk Cousins is a three-time Pro Bowler because Kirk Cousins took the spot that Dak decided not to take this year. I mean, think about that. That's how weird this whole setup of it is. And like you said, I don't know what the solution is. I kind of think it'd be cool if they just did it where it's like AP, like all pros, where you just name these guys, hey, these are the Pro Bowlers. We don't really feel a need to play. You know what? I don't really think that's a bad deal, bro, because nobody, nobody sits up there and says, hey, where's the all-pro game? <laughs> we're just right, yeah. these. and guys still feel a certain level of um pride when they get named all pro sure yeah i mean all so pros I, more carries more weight than being a pro bowler does yeah so I, I mean i really don't think there's a problem with it other than again the league makes money off the game and so as long as they're making money brother they're gonna have it yeah they are and and so the other thing with the Pro Bowl weekend, and I'm sure many of you saw this, is they had, I guess what it was like, the skills competition or whatever it was. Yeah. And this is something that a lot of the times at All-Star Games that stuff like this can actually be a little bit more exciting than the actual game. But that being said, they did do the NFL's fastest man, and it ended up being Tyree Kill, Nick Chubb, and then two Cowboys, Trayvon Diggs and Micah Parsons, Micah Parsons won the thing. Now, Tyree Kill looked like he he was like, I don't care. I mean, he was wearing like a full sweatsuit thing, and Micah Parsons out there with no shirt on. And I think Tyree Kill was kind of like laughing about it. And he even pulled up short, looked like maybe he had tweaked something when he was running. But Micah Parsons officially did beat all the other three guys and, and won the fastest man race. Hey, man, all he knows for this year, 2021, Pro Bowl, 2022 Pro Bowl. Uh, he's the NFL's fastest man. And, you know, 20 years from now, anybody going to know that Tyree Hill was just lollygagging <laughs> over there. All they're going to know is Maybe. that Michael Parsons got it beside his name, man. And he was moving now. Um, you know, he, I think he said, what do we say? He had 439 speed coming out of the draft. And uh, he ran like it uh, the other day. Yeah, and even he said afterwards that that Tyree Kill is still the fastest guy. But he did win. He won the race. And so, I mean, that's pretty impressive for a linebacker to smoke. You know, Nick Chubb was running. Nick Chubb was trying to run his ass off, and he beat Nick Chubb. So, yeah, 
leaned in and uh, beat him by the nose. Yeah, and man, you look at Micah Parsons, and this is a dude making us obviously his first ever Pro Bowl appearance of what we probably expect to be many in the future. And he had an interview and basically said he's going to play hard as heck and that his plan today is to go out there and, and play like how Sean Taylor did in the 2007 Pro Bowl where you've got a dude out there who's playing like it's his Super Bowl and everybody else kind of just horsing around. Dude, you know, the thing about it to me is Micah Parsons, I'm, I'm, I was trying to figure out in a moment, I've just never seen, and I'm really, again, trying not to be a prisoner of the moment, I've just never seen a dude who gets it uh, at every level so early. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now maybe Dak was in that category, but even I mean he he gets it even more than Dak did because he's a lot more eloquent than uh, than Dak was or is. You know Dak is for the most part a lot of coach speak and a lot of cliches, and mm-hmm. he doesn't he's he's not trying to reveal anything. Michael per- Parsons is much and you know before I move on, that's what a quarterback's supposed to do in a lot of ways. You know he's not supposed to generate controversy and these pithy comments and all this interesting stuff for the most part. Uh, but Micah Parsons, like, he goes, I'm going hard as heck. I'm going to be like Sean Taylor out in that joint. They're going to be so mad. They're gonna, I'm the one they're going to have to be telling to slow it down. To me, that's just a dude who gets it, man. Yeah. You know, um, think about uh, it earlier in the week. Uh, somebody asked him, what do you remember about this season? And they thought, the question, thought you were going to elicit some response talking about you know, the sacks or the rookie of the year or the comparisons to LT or all pro or this or that. And he, he said with a straight face um, that we lost in the first round. And, you know, earlier in the season when he's like, you know, I'm going to come in during the off week, I decided to come in earlier because I just wasn't playing yeah. good enough. Dude, just at every single solitary level, he just seems to get it. And when you have that much talent and you get it, amazing things can happen yeah man and and, then that's one thing about him and you brought this up I mean all these awards you're talking about a guy first team all pro obviously playing in the pro bowl is on the all rookie team many people expect he's going to be named the NFL's he is going to be the NFL's rookie defensive rookie of the year and, and it'll be very curious to see where he winds up in overall defensive player of the year voting but I'm kind of wondering if we may get an opportunity to see somebody, and we, you and I have talked about this many times, of another Penn State linebacker that played for the Cowboys that we always wondered how good that dude could have been if injuries hadn't robbed him of a lot of his career in Sean Lee. And I wonder if we're, barring injury, I mean, Micah Parsons, and I know it's just one season, and we probably all thought this about Leighton Van Der Esch after his no, rookie we- season. No, we did think that about Leighton Van Der Esch after his You know, but, it, I mean, this guy is showing flashes of being something that is extremely rare and very special. Now, he's got to do it for 10 years, but you talk about having a start like this, and that was one of the things I thought of was, I wonder if we're about to see what Sean Lee could have been if he had never gotten hurt. Um, the only uh, And I don't disagree with you in theory. I think the difference is he's a better player. Oh, I agree. Like, yeah. He's faster than Sean so, Lee ever was. <laughs> I mean, he's bigger, faster, stronger. So, you know, Sean Lee is like almost not the big enough comparison. You know what I mean? Because yeah. Sean Lee had a terrific career. But Sean Lee was never, you know, I don't know, man. Sean Lee 
did what he did, and he did it at a high level. He did it very well. But even he wasn't the impact player that uh, that Michael Parsons was because Sean Lee did it in terms of making tackles, some tackle for losses, and some interceptions. But he he didn't wreak havoc the way the way this kid does in terms of rushing the quarterback yeah. and still being able to cover and play the run. And he got a shout out from Dick Buckus this week, uh, big on Twitter. Big shout out to Michael Parsons, this year's Buckus Award winner. Mm-hmm. He had a heck of a season, joins the league company, kick ass in the Pro Bowl, and he came back right away with a tweet. Thank you, Mister Buckus. You know, something like I'm trying to live up to the legacy or something like that. But even that says, like you get it. And, uh, dude, it's just uh, – it's amazing uh, the talent that he has, the work ethic that he has, the attitude that he has. Basically, he's got everything, including playing with that star on the side of his helmet, to be a megastar in the NFL. Yeah, you hope so, man. And, and that's one thing – and we talked about it throughout the course of the season multiple times and how exciting it was when this defense came on the field. And a lot of that was because we all had an opportunity – to watch Micah Parsons do his thing. And you'd wonder, okay, well, where is he going to play linebacker? Is he going to rush? Is he going to put his hand down? I mean, what are we doing here? Like, I mean, you talk about the versatility and the elite level that this guy processes things, and his speed is it, – it's, it's wild because we've got some dude – it's, like, it's kind of like when we first saw Luca, and we would just right. giggle and be like, my God, this, this guy is unbelievably good – and now we have that in Micah Parsons playing linebacker or defensive end or whatever the hell you want to categorize him as for the Cowboys, which is awesome. Dude, it's uh, you know, it's, it's really incredible in a, in a lot of ways, man, the, the things that he's done already in his career. It is a lot like Luka, the way he just burst on the scene yeah. and started dominating right away. Um, you know, the hard thing is to do it over a period of time. Like, you know, we thought Zeke Elliott was on a Hall of Fame career pace after two seasons True. or three seasons, and nobody thinks that right now. Um, and, you know, we've seen, you know, Leighton Vanderish. We've seen other guys have tremendous rookie years or first seasons or whatever and not be able to sustain it or, you know, they dip back down because <clears throat> next season, what is he? He's uh he's at the focal point of everybody's game plan. How do we stop Michael Parsons? Because we need to stop him to beat the Cowboys. Uh, I will say this though, bro. Best possible thing to happen to him is Dan Quinn comes back for year two. Oh yeah, I agree. I think that was huge for him. And this is we'll see, but it's it's exciting, and I love how he talks. I love his attitude, and you just. He says and carries himself and does things on the field for a guy that it feels like he truly wants to be like one of those greats of all time. No, I mean, that's the difference. Like a lot of folks in the NBA have tremendous talent and have the ability to be stars. But for whatever reason, they can't get it all to connect. You know, I mean, you can look at somebody that's just like Randy Gregory and say like he's got every physical tool to be a star. He just can't get it all connected. Or you could look at Demarcus Lawrence, who has been a star, but injuries have slowed him down and not allowed him to reach his full potential, even though he's had a terrific career. Yeah. Um, but Michael Parsons, man, he he's a guy who, if he can stay away from the injuries, looks like he can be that dude for a long time. And if you're that dude for a long time with the Dallas Cowboys, uh, you know, you have a chance to get some some tremendous off the field rewards, be they gold jackets or be they eight digits in terms of endorsement contracts.
As we move forth here on this conversation, we tell you, of course, about the best thing. We talk about the eliteness of Micah Parsons. Well, Bruce Biltong is like the Micah Parsons of Biltong. I mean, it is phenomenal. It is easy. <laughs> you can order it right off the internet, man. BruceBiltong.com. They will ship it right to your door. B-R-U-S-B-I-L-T-O-N-G. BruceBiltong.com. If you use that promo code JAM15 at checkout, you'll get 15% off your order. It's like beef jerky, but it's not. It's a traditional South African air-dried meat. Jacques and I both love it. I mean, I eat it all the time. Uh, it is one of those types of snacks that when you discover it, it starts becoming a regular part of what you eat. Dude, well, for me, it's a regular part of what you eat because the caloric intake, man. For that two-and-a-half-ounce bag, it's like uh, 240 calories, man. It's 30 grams of protein. It's no carbs. It's no sugar. It's no fat. It's none of the bad stuff. And if you're watching your weight, it's a great snack in the middle of the day. Uh, that's how I enjoy it most. And I also love that sliced biltong, man. I mean, it is juicy, succulent, tender. Mm. Tasty. It's the best. I'm telling you, it is Bruise Biltong. It is the way to go. Again, you can order it online at bruisebiltong.com. Promo code JAM15. You get 15% off your order. Also, of course, our friends Deb and Mike at Blue Star Motor Group. I tell you this, and this is the truth, and I, I, I want to ingrain it in everybody listening. Not everybody is always looking to buy a car, and not everybody is always looking to sell a car. The key is that when you are ready for that process, and it happens to all of us, I mean, we all have to get a car, man, it seems like every four or five years. And if that is time coming up for you, you need to start the process with Blue Star Motor Group. It's an easy phone call to make, 817-881-4066, or just shoot her a text. Let her know, hey, heard about you on the Jam Session podcast. I'm going to be starting the car buying process soon. Here's kind of what I'm looking for. What can you guys do for me? And they, I mean, Deb will respond and go to work trying to make a deal happen for you. Nah, they, they're great at that, man. They can find cars all over the country to fit what you're looking for. They can find cars for you to buy at any level of budget. You know, be there looking for a teenager, looking for your first new car, looking for something a little more expensive because you're like me. You've gone through a midlife crisis. When it comes to cars, it, it doesn't matter, man. And the thing I always like to say about Deb and Mike is they want to do a good deal. They want everybody happy when the contracts are signed and handshakes are done. They want you looking in that rearview mirror smiling because you've made a good deal. Exactly. They are going to work to help you. They're going to work to find a deal for you at Blue Star Motor Group. 817-881-4066. And also, as I said, even if you're looking to just sell your car, they'll come to you. They will drive to your house, to your location, and they will give you cash on site for your vehicle. It's really that simple. It honestly is. Give them a call. 817 881 4066 or check them out online you can scope their inventory at bluestarmotorgroup.com so this trip around the block man you sent me some really interesting stories i mean some really interesting stories well you know i just send them i have i never know what you're gonna like and what you don't like so i just send them well obviously you had to know i was gonna like the counterfeit money story <laughs> because i read that i was like what how in the world and so Jacques sends me this text and it's a, it's a news link or whatever. And the headline is this home Depot worker arrested for passing nearly $400,000 in counterfeit money, not $400, $400,000 that he was funneling through a home Depot in counterfeit money. It's unbelievable, man. It's unbelievable until you kind of get a feel for how you could do it. 
and then it's not. So I was talking to a friend of mine. This was several months ago. And um, something happened on Instagram. Because I send, I do this to a lot of people. If I think it's interesting to them, I send it to them. And so some dude had a stack of money. And I sent it to her. I said, look at this. Who walks around with money like this, stack like this? And she sent me back something that goes, oh, it's probably prop money. Well, unbeknownst to me, I go, what is prop money? And it's like fake money like you use in movies and stuff. But you, there are people that you can buy it from. It doesn't really even cost that much. Yeah. And so... You often think about, you know, $100 bills are counterfeit or $20 bill counterfeit. But as it was explained to me, what those people do, like really, if they're really trying to do that is they may go buy something that costs $75 and they put two 20s in there and buy it for, you know, $35. Yeah. And then those two 20s go into the till because you don't think anybody's going to do it like that. Um, and so what I'm thinking is he was just swapping money in the till yeah. over the course of time. And like any criminal, man, he started off exchanging maybe prop money, you know, $100 and then $200 and then 1000 And probably by the end, he's probably swapping out the whole till. Well, there, so what this guy was actually doing now, he was a vault associate that worked oh, at a store in Arizona. Better. So he was, he was the guy that at this store was responsible for preparing cash from registers for bank deposits. Yep. A process that includes counting cash and sealing cash bags for transfer, and then you deposit them at the bank. Apparently, he had been taking money out of the deposits and replacing that with counterfeit currency during his shifts and then just taking the cash home, so much so that when they went to his home to arrest him, they had seized $5,000 in counterfeit money, $5,300 in genuine currency. And then at his house, they recovered an additional $22,000 in genuine currency that he had swapped out and was just had stashed wherever in his house. You ain't supposed to keep none of that at the crib, man. No, dude, that's, come on, guy. That's, that's why they have trap houses, man. You don't keep your drugs and your money at your crib. You keep it somewhere else. That is, I mean, you know, man, that's like one of these things. This seems like something that you would see in Breaking Bad or something, or like on Ozark, the money laundering and all that. And, you yeah, know, man. counterfeiters are so good now that that's why they change money every so often to try and, and have better ways technologically to make it difficult to counterfeit money, like putting the little weird paper strip inside the paper and like the hologram, like if you hold up a hundred or whatever to the light and you can see that. But we, I remember when we were waiting, when I waited tables years ago, we used to have a counterfeit pin that if somebody ever gave you a bill like a hundred, then you would right. take it back to the manager and then they would do the pin on it. And supposedly, you know, it would turn a certain color if it was counterfeit or it would be the color it was supposed to be if it wasn't. But you right. always had to check and make sure is this real? I mean, I always thought that was so strange. Like, how are we going to really know if it's real or not? And if it isn't, what are we going to say? Hey, excuse me, sir. You may or may not be the head of a large Colombian drug cartel, but uh, this is counterfeit, and I can't take it for your nine ninety nine burger that you just got. <laughs> well, did you run into a lot of counterfeit money? Or no, just I've never money? seen one, no. But I that was just one thing that we would have to do with any bill that was, I think it was only for hundreds. Like 20s, nobody ever cared. You know, and then... It's funny because we're watching the TV show Reacher, which we'll get into in a bit. But in one of the scenes, Reacher, this guy is a counterfeiter and they take real money 
and they 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 like bleach it and get all the colors and dyes off of it so that it's the exact same paper, and then they just right. reuse it on. So they'll take twenties, wash the twenties, and then reprint them using that paper as hundreds. Right. So at least it's got the feel. Right? Yeah. So I don't know if you can actually do that or not. I'm I'm totally unaware of this. So if you are a Secret Service agent listening or know someone who is, I don't know anything about this. Okay. I'm just talking about what I saw on a TV show. <laughs> Me too. Yes. I mean, we're just reading a news article. We don't need you to come to our door. Because people forget, like, the Secret Service, the main thing they do is deal with counterfeiting. Um, you know, it's hard. I, I was laughing in my head, man, because I was at the grocery store last week. And this is the first time I've seen this in a minute, man. The, the, register, the dude at the register took a, three 20s from this couple. And he was putting them under the light, man, like they were from the mob or something. Yeah, I bet. And I was just like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> and uh, they got to the point where they were laughing because he was really studying these 20s, trying to figure out if they were real or not. Well, you know, it's it's like IDs. IDs are the same way. Like, you'll, have, you'll hand somebody an ID every once in a while. And I, I had, this is what's weird to me. Can't remember if I told you this or not, but... We went to a Trader Joe's recently and the, I bought some wine or something. And the guy was like, Hey, do you have your ID? And I was like, yeah, man, thanks. And he looked at it and he goes, this is you. He goes, you're, you're 42. I was like, yeah. He goes, no. I was like, yeah, I am. I, I what, what do you mean? He goes, man, I like, you're, you're like five years older than me. Ah, I, I thought you were way younger. Ah. And I was like, well, trust me. I didn't get a fake ID to show that I was 42. <laughs> He's like, well, I, I just, that's amazing. I can't believe. And I was like, I, I don't know what to tell you, guy. You know, can I, you going to give it back to me? What are we doing here? But I remember when I was younger, my brother Chris used my ID after I had turned 21. And this right. was before he was 21. And so he had like a copy of my ID. And, you know, we look similar enough to where if you're just glancing at it, you're probably not hardcore going into it. Right. But it was funny because he said he never had a problem with it. And then one time he was getting into it. He was going to a club or a bar or something in Austin. And the doorman goes, this isn't you. And Chris is like, yeah, it is. And the guy's like, no, it isn't. And so he started asking. And Chris had memorized everything on my ID. They're like, when was your birthday? How tall are you? Like, what's your address? And he could like immediately spit it <laughs> off. And then the guy goes, okay, well, this is you. Sign your name. And Chris goes, he said, I freaked out because it never occurred to me that somebody might ask me to do that. So I was like, oh, my God, how does he sign his name? And he's like, so I tried to think of if I'd ever seen you sign anything or seen your signature. So he's like, I tried to guess what I thought it was. And the guy goes, okay, man. All right. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I was like, holy crap. I thought he was going to look and say you're not 6'3". Well, yeah, I mean, who knows? But, I mean, fake IDs. I'm sure people have used fake IDs. I never did. In my, in my, in my lifetime, I never, ever used a fake ID ever. Uh, me either for whatever that's worth. Yeah. I don't know why I just really, for me, when I was younger, between 18 and 21, I wasn't, I didn't drink hardly at all. I mean, r rarely ever did I drink before. I think honestly, before I turned 21, I think I drank maybe twice as weird yeah. as that is. I just wasn't into that stuff. Even in college, I didn't do it. Not really. I think, um, you know, I have this conversation with people all the time, you know, um, I didn't drink just because I don't believe in, I really don't believe in acquiring a taste for anything. So if I didn't like it and I didn't like most of liquor or wine or whatever from this, from the jump, there's just no need to drink it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, for So for me, like I never felt, 
I, I don't know. I never felt I was missing out. Wow. I never felt like I needed a fake ID to try to get into these places. I, I don't know what it was. I just never cared. Well, let me let me put it like this, too. I think a lot of that also depends on, and this is not a knock, it's just what it is, uh, what kind of household you grew up in, whether you were the kind of household where, you, where your dad had a beer or two after work or a beer while he's watching a game, whether he never had a beer or your mom or whether – you know, they had like a full bar upstairs and downstairs. It just depends on how exposed you were a lot of cases to, you know, how much alcohol played a role in your early life. Like my yeah. mom didn't drink beer. My dad didn't drink beer. So I didn't drink beer. You know, it's interesting is because my dad does, you know, my parents drink at the house and drink around me. And, and I kind of wonder if for whatever reason that might be part of why I wasn't real curious about it. Like I never felt a need. My parents were the type of parents that would tell you straight up, hey, if you feel like you need to drink and do all that, then let us know and do it here. And so right. like it was never like this forbidden taboo thing for me that I was like, oh, I need to go out and get hammered. I, I, I don't know. Of course, now I drink yeah. often. So <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. It's Even when I, man, when I turned 21, on my 21st birthday, you always hear about all these kids that go out and get hammered and, you know, are like, blah, 21. On my 21st birthday, I had one margarita, and that was it. And then the waiter comes over. He goes, dude, it's your 21st birthday. You got to take a shot. And I was like, oh, I don't really want one. He goes, no, come on. I'll get it for you. And so I did a shot of Jose Cuervo gold, and that was it. That's all <laughs> I drank on my 21st birthday. Well, you know, I've, I've never been the kind of dude who thought it was cool to go get hammered. I was just like, yeah. for a control freak like myself, that's just, I can't be that out of control where I'm just out here loopy. Um, you know, so I've always had a two drink minimum. Plus, I was always scared of DUIs and driving and all that stuff. So even when I did drink, even when I was in college, man, I was like two drinks for me. And that's a, that's a wrap because I don't drink often and I don't want any of the problems that can come from it. Yeah, I can totally understand that. The other thing that you had sent that I wanted to bring up, because I think that this is something and I'll be real curious because we both live in states where this is illegal. And I often wonder why they don't make it legal because the amount of money that is there to be made for the state. <laughs> yeah. You sent this article. So New York State, mobile gambling is now legal there. And in January, mobile sports betting in New York hit $1.6 billion. Dude, that number was so big. New York. Not not the country. Right. New York. And it was dude, I was just I was just stunned. Was and here's like, here's the thing of this. So you sit there and you go, okay, so one point six billion dollars was wagered on mobile gaming apps in New York just in the month, one month of January. New York State will bring in fifty eight million dollars in tax revenue in one month because of that. Why would you not make this legal everywhere? Dude, I don't have, there's no good reason why. I mean, I can tell you straight <laughs> up, Alabama could use that money like crazy. $58 million a month? And the amount of people here that are already gambling and doing it illegally because it's illegal technically in Alabama? I mean, that's one of those things. If you, if you Texas could use it too. I mean, you're talking, that's, a, that's one month. Think about that. Think about what the governments could use that money for, for roads and bridges and, and better schooling and all kinds of things that people want to just give you. No, it could definitely be a positive, man. But, you know, I, I often look at it the other way, man. 
That one point six billion, that's a huge number. Yes, it is. And I always look at it and go, I wonder how many people couldn't afford to lose it. Well, there's probably a lot. You know, there's a lot of people that do have that problem that are gambling away their life or their house or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, I know I know it's like, well, you know, you gotta have some self control and it's I'm just like, dude, it's it was you know, the thing about it is, man, that gambling thing is so insidious and at least it used to be a little hard. A little difficult. Yeah. Now you can you can do it from you can do it from your phone while you're watching the game, and you can bet on the first quarter, then you can bet on the second quarter, and I mean it's genius on the betting because it keeps you engaged for the whole game now. But um, I'm just like, wow, there's a lot of people going down from that. No different yeah. than you know some other things. No, that's very true. There's a we all know there's so many varieties of ways that can get you when you go down that path. But with the gambling thing, there are now 30 states where sports betting is legal, including 19 that allow online sports wagering. So that means that a little more than 100 million Americans now live in a place where they can legally wager in the Super Bowls next weekend. (laughs) How about this? Did you see this note? Last year for Super Bowl 55, Americans bet an estimated 4.3 billion dollars just on that game 4.3 billion on one game dude maybe we should have grown up to be bookies <laughs> maybe i don't think we have italian last names though could we are we allowed to do that i don't know how that works because they're the ones making out the money dog yeah i know i mean it, it is it's the gambling houses and the bookies making out the money yeah they are and, and uh, it's I mean, the amount of money is just staggering. And I will say, look, I have wagered before in my life. I usually only wager on college football, but I do it as a thing where I will say, I will start with $100 and I will invest it on opening weekend in a variety of games. And then if it ever goes away, then I'm just done. I don't, I don't add more. I don't put in more money. I just stop. And most seasons I come out ahead, you know, and I've never, I'm not like a guy for whatever reason, I can't force myself to, I mean, I had a nice little chunk once and I was, I should bet on this all on this one game. I felt really good about, but I couldn't do it. I just do like $20 here, $20 there. You're too cheap to lose. I, I am. You're exactly right. I don't know what it is. I, 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 I just can't make myself do it. No. I, I don't know. No, that's, I mean, that's it. It's you just, too cheap to lose. Some people, it's the thrill and the adrenaline rush from having that money on the game yeah. and the thrill of winning, even though the despair of losing is, you know, twice as much as the thrill of winning. But it's the adrenaline rush you get from having that money on the game and every play literally means something and you are you are engaged. Yeah, and a lot of the times, NFL, I don't know how people bet on the NFL. I mean, NFL to me is so unbelievably unpredictable that I don't know how you bet on the NFL. College, to me, is a lot more predictable, especially early in the season, because you'll see these lines where they think, like the opening season, opening game this year, Alabama-Miami, I think Alabama's favored by like 13. I was like, are you kidding me? They're going to smoke Miami. And they ended up winning by, I think, 30 points or whatever. Like sometimes right. earlier in the year, before everybody really has a good feel of, because there's so much turnover and there's so much differences at the college level, even more so, you know, with new classes coming in and big time players getting moving around, all that type of thing that, you know, it's fun to do something. I enjoy it from time to time. 
But you're right. Nah, I'm too I'm, cheap to lose. <laughs> no, nah, that's why I don't gamble. I'm too cheap to lose. Yeah. I've got, I've got, ironically enough, over the last few years, I've discovered several friends like you who put down just, you know, what I would call small, make it interesting wagers yeah. on a variety of games. And they seem to seem to really enjoy it. Yeah, there's something to that. And then like when you do parlays, those are the fun ones. Because I'll do like just $10 on a parlay, but I'll make it where it's like five teams. And if I hit, that $10 turns into, you know, 320 or whatever. Oh, no. Parlay is definitely the way to go. Yeah, those are uh, fun. But then you're sitting there like, all right, I got four out of five. No, I missed it. But it's only 10 bucks. Well, dude, you know, Nick Wright uh, from uh, FS1 and whatever their show is he does over there. Uh, he's a good dude. We, we had him on our show, I think, once or so. But anyway, he's a good dude. A uh, huge Kansas City Chiefs fan. Well, he was, I mean, he's he's that, he's Steve Dennis to Ohio State when he's talking about oh, Kansas City okay. Chiefs. For those of you uh, who understand Steve Dennis. So he was talking all this smack. He says, I feel so confident about the game. Let me show you the parlay that I laid out on this game. And he spent $500, and I think he was going to win $8,500. Jeez. And it, and it was Chiefs by 20. 20 and a half, I think. Okay. Um, Pat Mahomes, three touchdown passes. Travis Kelsey, one touchdown pass. Uh, Tyreek Hill, one touchdown pass. So I think those were the four things. Yeah. So imagine how he was feeling when the score was 21 to three. Mahomes had his three touchdown passes. Kelsey had one. Tyreek Hill had one. And it was just a matter of, well, I wonder when we get this other touchdown or two and put him out of their misery. And what should I do with this 8500 that I don't really need because I'm rich. But, you know, I'll buy me some nice little bobble with it. Yeah, something fun to do, I guess, from time to time. Yeah, and then, of course, it all went up in, in smoke. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it always goes. You know, speaking of going up in smoke, how about a little Smokey John's barbecue? Oh, it's tasty now. It it's is tasty. tasty. And if you somehow are in the DFW area and you have not made your way over to Smokey John's Barbecue to get the Jam Session Bowl, I don't know what's wrong with you. I don't know why you haven't gone yet. It's Jacques done it multiple times. I know several of you listening, more than several of you, have done it multiple times. It's only available to Jam Session listeners. It's on the secret menu. You walk in, you let them know you want the Jam Session Bowl. It's You get to choose, either made from scratch, mashed potatoes, or mac and cheese you get to pick two different types of meat you'd like to top it with the fixings that you want on top of it the cheese and the chives and all that deliciousness drizzled with smoky john's barbecue sauce oh no it's fantastic man it's fantastic it's um it's delicious and you know what the other thing is bro it's built for two man i mean i have yet to see anybody in person kill that thing at one sitting i've seen a couple of people uh split it and then come back and kill the leftovers but uh it's a huge portion man it's delicious uh you know i could eat it uh you know if i wasn't concerned about my weight i'd go have it uh, a couple times a week man wow that's that would be interesting because it is a lot and it is fantastic it's smoky john's barbecue it's, it's a local family-owned place right there off of mockingbird and again, I actually need to do this because this is what, so we went and had barbecue here last week and then I got ribs. And so I ate some at the restaurant and then I saved some for the next day. And I was like, man, I, I want barbecue sauce with these. And I was like, where's our, where's, it's like, oh my God, I, I already drank and ate all the Smokey John's barbecue sauce. I was like, I'm going to have to go order some more. 
And you can do that too. And I can do that even in Alabama because I simply go to smokyjohns.com and I click on Smokey's Market and you can order their sauce or their rub and they'll ship it right to you wherever you live. So I'm going to have to do that. And I, I actually made a note to remember to order some because I love, 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 love their barbecue. It's become my favorite barbecue sauce I've ever had. No, it's 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 terrific, man. It's it fantastic, is fantastic, flavorful. I mean, it's, I can't say enough good things about it. So check them out, Smokey John's Barbecue, and of course they are right around the corner from another one of your favorite places that you go all the time, and that's Freeway Tire Shop, where Jr. and his guys will get you set up. They'll get you taken care of, no matter what it is. And it, we tell you, oil change, tires, maybe you need some more serious mechanical work. The thing about JR is that you can trust him. He is the mechanic you can trust. He backs up his work, which is why Jacques has taken every single one of his cars over there multiple times. Well, I mean, you know, the bottom line, dude, is if if most of us don't know how to fix cars, so you need a mechanic you can trust. And that's where JR goes above and beyond what anybody else I've ever dealt with does, man. And so I trust him to diagnose the problem. Okay, we just get that thing out the way. Then I trust him to use quality parts to fix the problem because not everybody does. Uh, I really trust him to give me a fair price on it. Yeah, yo, here's what it costs. Last week he saved me $120 on his tire. And then I trust him to stand behind his work, man. Uh, and he does that consistently. With, it's not like if he has to stand behind his work and you go, oh, uh, no, it's, <laughs> oh, okay. Yo, yo, okay, it's not doing what it's supposed to do. Okay, let me get it. Let me fix it, da, 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 da. Boom, and then you're off and running again. I mean, I love the guy. He's fantastic at what he does. He is. It is Freeway Tire Shop. It is right there, right off of 35. I mean, it is right off of 35, just north of downtown Dallas. Get your vehicles over there. Let him take care of you. You can request a quote. You can schedule your appointment. You can do all that online at freewaytireshop.com. So we move forth, and this is interesting on a couple of things because – the Dallas Mavericks are approaching the NBA's trade deadline, and there are all kinds of rumors that are including the Dallas Mavericks, and, and rightfully so, I think. I mean, it's obvious. I think we've all known this for forever. It's coming up later this week. I believe it's February 10th, which is Thursday. The thing is, is that their two best trade pieces are probably Jalen Brunson and Dorian Finney-Smith. But as Mark Stein has reported, they are likely to keep both of those players. And from what I have been able to read, it's the idea that they want to re-sign both of those players and that even though they will have limited cap space and because cap space around the rest of the league this year is going to be limited for a lot of teams, that they'll be able to use their bird rights so that they can give both these guys raises to keep them in Dallas. Now, that's fantastic if you can make that happen. Um, I see Brunson as a starter on a championship caliber team, and I see Finney Smith as a role player on a championship caliber team. And I don't mean the guy who plays 10 minutes. I mean the guy who plays, you know, 20, 25 yeah. minutes as a role player um, because I think he can he can bring some some things to your team, but I'm, I'm not sure he's quite good enough to be a starter on a championship caliber team, unless your other guys were so dynamic. A lot of the dirty work stuff he did, you know, would still fit. Yeah, and, and that's the thing with the Mavs is if they're not going to move either one of those guys, it really limits what they can do. Now, they do have a $10.9 million trade exception from when they traded Josh Richardson to Boston for Moses Brown during the offseason. So if they have that trade exception, there's a few names that are out there like Dennis Schroeder that I have seen, Kimba Walker, Larry Nance Jr., Justin Holiday. 
that are guys like that that Dallas could try and use that trade exception to acquire. The, the big rumor that's out there is the C.J. McCollum thing. Now, what would that be for uh, for the big fella? See, yeah, and that to me is... Because their money fits, I think. I, I don't know how if the Mavs were legit interested and they thought they were going to work that out. I, I don't know how they could move to get C.J. McCollum without getting rid of one of Porzingis. the other guys. Yeah. And then if you're doing that, then it, is What's that the what you want to do? Yeah. Well, the thing is, C.J. McCollum... He is a 20-point scorer, but he is 30, which uh, that's old in the NBA, but not ancient. Um, you know, he's making $29 million this year. I didn't realize he was making that much. I was like, my God. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, you know, that's where you start to think if Porzingis' money will fit or how you can maneuver that. Uh, but you sure as hell don't want to trade, you know, guys who are 23, 24, 25 for a 30-year-old guy if you're not one player away from winning a championship or making a deep run or something like that. Yeah, and one of the things that I had seen, and, and again, this is just rumors and hypotheticals, is that the Mavs could trade for C.J. McCollum and Larry Nance Jr. and send Portland Tim Hardaway Jr., Reggie Bullock, and a couple of draft picks down the road in the future as well as the trade exception. So I mean, I'm down if they do that. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, hell, Tim Hardaway Jr. is not even playing right now. And, and again, the Blazers can be patient with Hardaway because they're not exactly a team that people are looking at. They're in tenth place this year. I think they're still nine games under 500. They have not had a good season, so that seems like it would make sense. And Hardaway, of course, just got a new contract with the Mavs, so he'd be locked in Portland for a few years. But it, it, we'll see. Actually, yeah, they're, they're even worse than they were. Portland's 12 games under 500. They're 21 and 33 this season. Oh, my. Yeah, so that, that's not a good year for them. So if that's what you had to do, it makes sense that they wouldn't need Hardaway like immediately. No, and I, you know, my problem is this is not a Tim Hardaway issue. It's, no, a, it's no. a result, which is Tim Hardaway ain't worth the money they gave him. But he was the only, I mean, you had to spend it on something, and, and he was better than nothing. But he's not supposed to be your third best player because he's not that good. He's good, but he's good as your what he was, your sixth, your seventh, your eighth guy, not your third guy. And that's what he's being paid like. So if I can move my wood. The other thing that's out there is the Goran Dragic thing, which is never going to go away as long as Luka is here and that dude's available. Now keep in mind that he left because – he was in Miami, then they dealt him to Toronto, and he left Toronto after barely playing with them due to a personal issue. But if he gets bought out, it's very likely that he could sign in Dallas. Now, keep in mind, he's a 35-year-old dude who's barely played this season. But he loves Luka. They're fellow Slovenians. He's got some postseason experience. There's worse guys that you could bring in here. Yeah, they're worse guys, but they're sure as hell a lot better guys. <laughs> like, I'm like, what's the point, man? He hadn't played all year. He's not going to do anything. All he's going to do is be Luca's buddy. Um, if you want a roster spot for Luca's buddy, okay, fine, cool, if that's, if that's his role. But I'm not thinking that some 35-year-old dude, even though he's been a terrific player, can show up off the streets and really contribute something of a meaningful note uh, when he hadn't played all year. Yeah, and, and, and Dallas, I mean – they're an interesting team, but it still feels like, and granted, I, I have not gotten to watch them play every night. I watch them play when they're on national TV. I've caught them a, a handful of times this season. You know, they've got the Hawks today. I don't know if that game's national or not, but if it is, I'll probably watch it because 
Trey Young and Luca anytime they play is always a good thing. They're in the midst of this really long homestand here. I think they got five games at home before they go back out on the road for a five-game road swing. But right. it, it's still – Dallas is a good team. They're a really good team. I think when you look at the hierarchy of where they're at in the Western Conference, anybody can sit there and say, okay, they're not going to catch Phoenix. They're not going to catch Golden State. They're probably not catching Memphis, which means best-case scenario, maybe they can get into that four spot and have home court advantage for the first round of the playoffs. Is that going to help them to get out of the first round? I don't know. This, to me, still seems like a team whose ceiling at best is a second-round exit in the playoffs. At best, because they don't have enough players, man. Right. I mean, the NBA is about stars, bro. I mean, it's just what it is. It's about stars. And they got one star. Uh, Porzingis is having a good year when he plays, but, dude, it's, you know, ain't nobody saying it's his fault. The dude's hurt every, every other game, man. Yeah. And it's always something. It's it's not, you know, the cry, the crazy thing is, it's not the same thing all the time. It's a bruised knee. It's a sore back. It's a sore knee. It's this. It's that. He's just forever banged up. Um, and so it ain't his fault, man. But the the, the reality is, um, the best ability is availability, and he doesn't have it. Yeah, and you look at Porzingis this season. This goes to your point. He plays the first three games. Then he misses five. Then he comes back, and he actually played a stretch where I believe he played like 11 in a row. Then he missed two. Then he came back, and he played in seven straight. Then he missed two. Then he came back, he played in four. Then he missed seven. Then he came back, and he had played in the next seven or eight in a row, and he has missed their last three. Dude, I mean, it's just actually <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Because he's, he's an unreliable player. I mean, his effort is fine, and he's trying to do, and when he plays, he's productive. He's just unreliable, man. Just he is. Absolutely and, unreliable. Yeah, and it's unfortunate, and, you know, we'll see. I, I really don't know that there's going to be any type of mind-blown trade that puts the Mavs onto a different level this year, but I sure as hell wouldn't be surprised if something happens in the offseason. Nah, they – Here's the thing. They have to figure out some way. That's what they brought Nico Harrison in here for. Mm -hmm. They got to figure out some way to add another legitimate big-time player to Luka. That's just what you have to do. I don't know how you do it. It's not my job to figure out how you do it. Uh, hooker by crook. It doesn't matter. It just has to be done. Yeah, and they're going to have to figure that out. But and, and who knows? With Luka, anything is possible, especially that this team is playing way better defense they're a top five defense in the NBA and in the playoffs, that level of defense can steal you a couple of games and, and maybe they'll be able to extend it. They got to get out of the first round this year. I, I mean, they have got to find a way to win a playoff series. And if they don't, I, I think there'll be massive change. And I'm, I, I mean, obviously we saw massive change in the front office and the coaching staff, but I think you're going to see massive change as far as the way this roster is constructed around Luca because time is running out. It's already running out, and uh, they seem way behind me, man. Like Atlanta has already figured out, here's the guys that we're putting around, um, Trey Young, let's let's get off and go. You know, Memphis has figured out here, so we're putting around J yep. John Morant, Jay Morant, let's 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 get 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 it moving and going. And dude, the Mavericks are just like, oh well, we'll try these. I mean, they swung and they swung hard with KP, but it's not working out because he's not healthy. Yeah. And so now you got to figure out how to do it again. 
Yeah, it sucks, man. It's unfortunate for them, but they're going to have to reload. And, and who knows? Like I said, I mean, maybe Luke will have some epic playoff run and they'll get to the second round. <laughs> but yeah. kind of like see, the Cowboys, I, I just don't have a lot of faith that they can really do much in the postseason. No. Say, see that giggle you had at the end? You don't really believe that. No, I don't. I don't at all. So the other thing, Sportsy, that I'm curious about is the Winter Olympics are going on. The opening ceremonies were on Friday. And I, I actually like some of the Winter Olympics because these are sports that you, I mean, let's be honest, you see once every four years, <laughs> unless you're just yes. like some weird winter sports junkie. I mean, I don't know anybody in the South who is. <laughs> I have not watched a single minute of the Winter Olympics yet. Nope. Nope, 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 nope. And uh, I, I don't know why that is. <laughs> like, I generally speaking, I mean, I, I do enjoy some of the winter sports. Like, curling is fun. You know, the speed skating. There's stuff with speed skating that's a lot of fun. I think a lot of people are really into the, the figure skating and all that. But for whatever reason this year, I, I don't know what it is that I have just, I've not really made an effort to catch any of it. Dude, I mean, I... I don't know. I don't. I don't have a good. Um, I don't have a good guess at all, bro. Um, I think it's uh, maybe it's the fact that it, it feels like it snuck up on us. And now that they go, it's really every four years. But it seems like they're having the Olympics all the time now because they're on yeah. a different schedule. Yeah, because COVID. Plus, I forgot about that. You're right. Because COVID screwed up the Summer Olympics and pushed them all the way to like September last year, and then all of a sudden here are the Olympics again. Yeah, and so I think when you do that. It's, I don't know, bro. It's just, uh, I don't know. I just, there, there has not been a yearning for the Olympics. And maybe it's because, um, I was going to say, maybe it's because it's the Winter Olympics. It's all the sports we don't really know a whole lot about. Maybe that has something to do with it. But, uh, dude, it's crazy. It is. It is crazy. And how many Winter Olympic sports do you think you can name? <clears throat> well, that's a good question. I always like to start off with the biathlon because I'm I'm down with the gun and the cross country skiing. Yeah, there you go. Because I believe there are fifteen. Fifteen. Yes. Well, there's the biathlon. Mm -hmm. There's the curling. Yes. There's the there's the bobsled. Yeah. There's the luge. Nice. There's um, figure skating. Yes. And and all the shit that comes with figure skating. Right. Like right. Yeah. It's all, all yeah, that yeah, shit. Yeah. There's speed skating. Mm hmm. There's uh there's all the shit that comes with the, with the uh, skiing, which is like three or four different things. Uh, there's uh, there's also snowboarding, I think. Yes, there is. Look at you. You've gotten uh, nine. I've given you nine so far. Well, I'll give you ten because. Damn. damn. So there's still five of them out there. Oh, there's hockey. Yes. Uh, so that's eleven. That's eleven out of fifteen. I'm I'm fairly impressed with myself. Uh, let me think real quickly. There's the snowboarding. There's the uh, <laughs> skiing. It's a I'm lot. trying to go through it in my head. There's the biathlon. There's the curling. Yeah, you might have gotten 12, but you're missing three for sure. All right, what are the three I'm missing? You're missing Nordic combined. Okay, which, I never would have guessed that. Yeah. That's cross-country skiing or something. Yeah, that's, that's ski jumping and cross-country skiing. You're missing ski jumping. Oh, I meant ski jumping. Like I meant to say that. And you're missing skeleton, which is luge, but you go face first. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that yeah. one. So I probably would have. I, I feel good though. Thirteen out of fifteen or so. Yeah, it's not bad. And I and I, you know, like you said, skiing and everything that goes with that, because there's alpine downhill skiing, there's cross country skiing, there's freestyle skiing, 
So those are the three types of skiing. And then with speed skating, you have speed skating and then short track speed skating. Right. But I, I, I was being lenient and didn't make you go into the details. Well, yeah, I, I wasn't going to. <laughs> I, I, wasn't, I wasn't trying to go into the details. Yeah, so what in the world? There's a new event. Oh, this is interesting. There's a new event. Seven new medals this year, including men's and women's big air freestyle, mixed team competitions in freestyle skiing aerials, ski jumping and snowboard cross, and women's monobob. What the hell is that? It's when you're in a bobsled by yourself. <laughs> it's so strange. It's just one person in it. I just saw a picture of it. I was like, what the hell is that? It's the monobob. Why don't we just call it the solo bob? Yeah, why do we have to say monobob? Yeah, man, that sounds like a disease or something. Yeah, that is weird, man. I don't know. Maybe I'll watch some Winter Olympics this evening. I'm not. And I say that because <laughs> we started Reacher, the Amazon Prime show, came out on Friday. Yes. We are seven of eight episodes in. And Jesus. Oh, dude, it's, it is awesome. Because he is exactly, it's just like Bosch. When I watched Bosch as somebody who had read every single Harry Bosch book ever, Titus Welliver, who plays Harry Bosch in the Amazon Prime show, is exactly how I pictured Bosch in my mind while reading the books. And the dude who plays Reacher is exactly the way he talks, the way he uses his face. He's, he's super, I mean, he is jacked. I mean, this dude is... He looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime. I mean, he is ripped and jacked, <laughs> and he is exactly the way I pictured Reacher in my mind while I was reading all the books. All right. Well, then they finally nailed it. Oh, my God. This dude is... And I will say there's a little bit of... It's not as good as Bosch. It's not done on the whole as well as Bosch, but the main character, I mean, he absolutely nails it. All right. That sounds good. Yeah, I've been, I, it's on my list of things to get to. I mean, it is, I'm telling you, it is really, really good. And if you guys out there, if anybody ever listened, I mean, watched or read Reacher, the Jack Reacher books by Lee Child, you know, everybody was so irritated when Tom Cruise did the movies. This guy is exactly what Reacher is supposed to be. And it, it's fantastic. So we'll watch the season finale tonight of episode eight. And then I would hope that the Reacher series will continue kind of like Bosch did because Bosch actually ended up being the longest-running Amazon Prime show they ever did. Dude, I was going to say, I mean, I was going to wonder if they were going to come out and just pop the second, uh, if the reception was going to be so good that they're like, yeah, we're coming back with another series, no problem. Yeah, I hope so. So we'll see. But Reacher, Reacher so far, season one, I'm telling you, is very, very well done. I'm just glad they got the character right. That matters. So, I mean, when the damn show is named Reacher and it's based on books about one guy, the, the guy should be the way he's supposed to be. Right. He should be 6'2", 250, jacked. Yes. 5'7", 135. Right. Even though everybody in America loves Tom Cruise, that's cool, but he ain't, he ain't that dude, man. Um, I was watching Undercover, which was uh, that series yeah. I was telling you about, and I, I wrapped it up yesterday or this morning early, and it was, uh, it was good. It was solid. Uh, I find it interesting. Uh, my only issue is my same issue. There was no surprise death, which the problem is when there's no surprise death, when these characters get into these harrowing situations, yeah. there's no you're, there's no adrenaline. Your heart doesn't pump any faster because you go, it's more like, 
well, let's see how they get out of this. Uh, when you're on Ozark or some of these other shows, they get in these harrowing situations. You're like, are they really going to take this person out? And so even if they survive, you still have the adrenaline f- flow from, God, yeah. I thought they were going to take them out. Whereas uh, this is a well-done show. But uh, there's just no, um, you know, there's just no, none of that. And so outside of that, it was solid. It was cool. I didn't mind it. It was worth my time. But uh, that would have made it a little bit better. Well, that's good. And, hey, look at this. I, I believe Trayvon Diggs just got an interception in the Pro Bowl. Did he? So look at that. There we go. Live update. Although for those of you listening, it's not exactly live, so it doesn't really matter. But that's what somebody on Twitter put anyway. So I don't know. Oh, did he? Did he get beat on a double move before then? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, see, now I'm being a jerk because I didn't have to say that. No, but I mean, now, now we know Trayvon Diggs is for sure playing in the Pro Bowl if, if both those things happened. <laughs> so we also need to tell you, before we move on to our next little bit of the conversation here, let's tell you about our friends at HFX Foundation Solutions. Aaron and his team, and, and we tell you guys this, and there's a lot of truth to this, it's a free no-obligation inspection. And I would tell you, if you have any hesitancy, if you notice cracks, if you notice sloped floors or soil washout, doors are starting to stick, the best thing you can do is get out ahead of this. Give Aaron a call, 817-770-0174. Let him know what the situation is. And again, it's a free no-obligation inspection. They may come out and he's like, no, you're good. Or he may be like, hey, I'm glad you called me because we did find some things, but we're going to get it taken care of, and they'll be with you all the way through the process. Dude, that's why we call it a colonoscopy for your house, man. Every house needs one. You just call Aaron. The cost is nothing for him to come check it out. And then they do just that, man. They check it out head to toe, give you a uh, report. And if there is something, chances are they found it early on in the process where it's a fraction of the cost to get it fixed. And if not, man, they didn't find anything, hey, go pop some bottles, have some fun. You're good for a long time. 45 minutes to potentially save yourself thousands of dollars in damages by catching those drainage and foundation issues early. HFX Foundation Solutions, 817-770-0174 or online at hfxfoundation.com. Also, of course, Hector Flores, our buddy with Modern Woodmen of America. If you have finally woke up and you realized, man, I need to start saving. Or you don't know, if I ask you this question 20 years from now, where are your finances going to be? You may say, I, I, have no, I don't know. I have no idea. You might want to pick up the phone, give Hector a call, because he can help you plan that path for financial security throughout the course of your life. 940-453-3490. Hector, that's what he does. I mean, Hector helps. He sets up that plan for you. The thing I like most about Hector, man, is... What you just said, he sets up a game plan for you. Uh, And if somebody sets up a game plan for you, whether it's a diet or whether it's a financial diet, it's it's good, man, because all you got to do is follow it. You don't even have to think. Just, oh, this much money goes here, this much money goes there, this much money goes here. And he does it all based on whether you're an aggressive saver, conservative, or, you know, somewhere in the middle. Easy to get a hold of again. That number, 940-453-453. 3490. It's Hector Flores with Modern Woodmen of America. And keep in mind, it doesn't cost anything to meet with them. It's non-fee-based. He can help you. 940-453-3490. So you and I are both really big readers. And I am, I'm a little bit of an obsessive reader, probably. 
I have a problem. Uh, no uh, problem. No probably to that. As a matter of fact, I am on, it is February 6th, and I am halfway through my ninth book of the year. My God. <laughs> now, I will say, I started off the year, I read a very lengthy, detailed biography of Led Zeppelin, and I have since then been reading the books that the television show Dexter is based on. Oh, okay. And it is a series of eight books. They're all they're they're all about three hundred fifty pages long, but man, I, I it is it's similar to the TV show, but drastically different in a lot of spots as well. And so, you know, I love Dexter the TV show so much. And when I we wrapped up watching Dexter New Blood a couple of weeks ago, I thought, you know, I I know these are based on books, but it never. I'm just going to read them. Let's see. And so. I read the first one and enjoyed it so much. I've just been zipping through, and I'm on book eight, about halfway through it, and we'll be wrapping up the entire series probably sometime tomorrow. Wow, you are a reading machine. So do the uh, the books hold true to the uh, to the character that we see on the two? Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, he Michael C. Hall does a really good job of portraying Dexter. I mean, as you might imagine, and it's this way with a lot of books that deal with levels of killings like this, the Dexter in the book, I would say, is even a little bit more cold than the one on the TV show. And the killings and stuff, it's its just a lot more descriptive, as you might imagine. Yeah, because there ain't no TV to tell you what it is. so it's Yeah, and it, it's, yeah. it's one of those things where, like, the things that happen in the book that he goes through, like, for instance, like the ice truck killer, it's in the book, and it is his brother, but they never catch him. Like, his brother exists all throughout all of the books. And, and you know, in the TV show, Rita dies in a completely different way at a completely different time. In the TV show, they have Harrison, who's a boy. Well, in the book, he has a little girl. So, you know, just little differences like that. But Deborah is definitely, you know, she cusses constantly and is that type of... <laughs> hard-driven detective trying to get justice done and all that type of thing. So it's it's really, really, you can see where the inspiration for the show is, and, and the show really does kind of stay true to what the, I guess, the spirit of Dexter in the books really is. All right, that's good. That's good. Maybe I'll get around to reading those one day. Yeah, they're cool, man. They're really good, and they're, they're quick to read, too, because it, just the way that it flows – a lot of the book is his inner monologue and how he processes and looks at everything. And I mean, I laugh out loud a lot just because of how cold and how disconnected from humanity is. It's just funny. <laughs> well, that's why he can be a serial killer. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And disconnected. It's pretty awesome. I mean, it, it's, I've enjoyed it. Now, now my thing is anytime I wrap up something like this, I always kind of wonder, well, what am I going to read next? I, I, I'm going to have to find something else, but I like reading series. I, I like reading where you get to follow along with the character over the course of time. You know, that's one of the reasons why I like Reacher. And one of the reasons why I like Harry Bosch so much is, you know, you get 20, 25 books into a character. I mean, you, you've lived a life with that guy. No, hell yeah, you have. Yeah, I've been stuck on Bosch for a while just because my, my daily routine kind of yeah. changed. So I'm not in the car as much. And I'm not reading those books as much. And I like to listen to books while I'm working out in the morning, but I can't listen to fiction because you have to kind of pay attention to fiction. I like to listen to, you know, self-improvement or biography kind of books because if you miss something, it's not the end of the world Yeah. in terms of, you know, what happened three chapters later. How did that happen? Uh, but one book I did pick up last week, was uh, Jay Glazer's Unbreakable book. And I got to tell you, bro, that thing's fantastic. 
Um, I think I'm on chapter six. It's a quick read, too. I think it's uh, so I'm probably about two thirds of the way through it now. Nice. But the thing about it is uh, Jay Glazer to me is a classic dude who you see and you would never think he's dealing. He's dealt with depression and anxiety his entire life. And uh, because his personality fills up any room he enters. I mean, he's, you know, first time I met him, I was just like when I when he left, I was like, who the hell is that dude? And what is he on? Yeah. Because, uh, you know, he's going 100 miles an hour every day of the week. Um, but the book was really interesting because it talked about his rise as a reporter and how he spent, you know, about five years making nine or $10,000 a year waiting for somebody to give him a break and an opportunity. And uh, he finally got one and took advantage of it. And uh, it also talks about, um, you know, how you don't let anybody else dictate your life, man. If you want to do something, you just persevere and figure out a way to, to do what it is that you want to do, no matter, you know, who's out, who's out there telling you no. Yeah. And then finally with the depression and stuff, man, just, you know, we would all like, I think, to do something where you're really – you can see how you've changed lives and how you've left an impact on the world before you leave. You know, some of us do it with humor or some people do it with this or that. Um, but you never really know if you make an impact. Uh, but to write a book like that, where you know you've saved lives from people who, you know, have not committed suicide or have done stuff like that, it's just phenomenal, man. It is. And, and maybe I'll read that book. That sounds like a really nice inspirational type book. Oh, it's a good book now. It's a good book. Yeah, because I like books like that, and I'm always looking to add to the list. I mean, I always make a list of books that look interesting when I come across them. There's a couple of books coming out this spring that I'm interested in that, oddly enough, there's, like, we've seen a lot of, like, Tiger books that have been really good about Tiger Woods. Well, I, I forget who wrote it, but somebody's releasing a book about Phil Mickelson this spring. And Really? Yeah, that that book, to me, I was trying to see... Yeah, I think it's this one. I think it's the by Alan Shipnuck. I think I that's the that one name. that's coming out. I'm trying to remember exactly if this is it or not. It might be. Let me see real quick. Because this is one that, yeah, it is. It comes out. It's May 17th is when it releases this, this spring, summer. It's, it's just called Phil, the rip-roaring and unauthorized biography of golf's most colorful superstar by Alan Shipnuck. And he's written some other stuff, I think, because he sounds familiar. Yeah, I was going to say, I've heard the name before. Yeah, he's written a so, bunch of uh, golf stuff, so. I don't know. I, I just, right. that one's supposed to be really good, so right, well, going to talk about the If they're going to talk about the alleged womanizing and gambling, then I mean. Hell yeah, man. That's what we want from our people's champion. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you want the full context of the person. Yes. Like, I was contemplating reading this book on uh, Whitney Houston. Uh, because it's like the guy was like, I was a big fan of Whitney, and I was I was like, you know, I cried while I was writing it because some things I didn't want to put in there, but I yeah. just had to. I was like, okay, that's the kind of book I want to read. <laughs> well, nice, yeah, man. I mean, there's some good stuff coming out. You know, speaking, did you see the Jordan Spieth shot yesterday <laughs> at Pebble Beach where it, it was, okay, this, this shot is right on the edge of a cliff. If you slip, you're dead. Like, you will die. And Jordan Spieth, instead of taking a penalty shot to move his ball, like goes right to the edge of this cliff and st steps up and like ropes one to the green. What is his problem? You should never do that. I don't know, man. But I kept saying, I was like, dude, you never know. Like the momentum of your golf swing. What if you slip? Like you're, you'll die on television. Like this is crazy. <laughs> I'm just not looking at it now. Yeah, I got to get Mark to ask him about that because he's a Marido member. 
And then he he's, he takes a quick step back as soon as I he know, dude. Play. Look at that. Just to make sure I don't fall and kill myself. I mean, that is I've never seen anything like that before. I mean, he's right on the edge of that cliff. Yeah, but at least he was facing forward, not backward. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean it, it's I don't know, dude. Like cliffs like oh, that, dude. Dude, when they when they shoot the aerial shot, you see how far up it is. Man. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think they said it was a 68 foot drop. Oh my god! Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Like, like if he had slipped, he's dead. You don't come back from a 68 foot drop like that. In the <laughs> middle of a golf match, I mean, think about that. That is wild, dude. His mother called him up and left him the most vile uh, <laughs> voicemail message. Cheris, Justin, I can't believe you did that. What is wrong with you? Have you lost your ever lost? I mean, she just went on and on and on and on and on. Man, yeah. When I saw that, I was just I I even seen it again because I just looked at it again too. I I don't I couldn't have done it. I don't I I wouldn't have even been able to go over to the ball to pick it up to move it. Nope. I'd have been like, had to move that yeah, thing. I'd have been like, I'm just going to leave that there and just take this new ball and start a new thing with this ball, please. <laughs> I can't handle stuff like that, man. I cannot get like the edge of cliffs and stuff like that. I, I cannot do it. I can't nah, do it. bro. It's too much. It is too not much. for me. So elsewhere this week on the podcast, we'll be getting you ready for the Super Bowl. Of course, Todd Archer will join us on our next episode. We'll also have uh, chill Clarence Hill Jr. And Ed Werder will be joining us later in the week as well for Rams and Bengals, man, on Valentine's Eve, next Sunday, February 13th in Los Angeles, Super Bowl 56. I can't believe, I always, it's that weird, almost like when you're a little kid, day after Christmas feeling at the end of football season, we got one more game and then you're done and there's no football, no games for another six months, seven months. Dude, it's a it's a sad time, typically. <laughs> it is. It is kind of like one of those scenes because you get so ge- geeked up for it. And then week in and week out, you're doing all these games, and then it ends. You're like, well, what do I do now? Yeah, no, that's exactly, the, that's exactly the emotions you feel. But, you know, that's why the NFL is the king, because they've made the offseason into something that's special, whether it's, uh, you know, free agency or the draft yeah. or the schedule and then mini camps. And then preseason, I mean, training camp, and then preseason. I mean, it's like not a break, bro. Mm. I mean, it just goes on mm. and on and on to the break. Yeah. And now here it is, and it's – I mean, I will say I'm not generally a big college basketball fan, but just based on what I do now, I've been watching a lot more college basketball. And fortunately for me, Auburn's really fun to watch, so I've watched them play a few times. Alabama's like schizophrenic. Watching them play basketball is bizarre, but – you know, the teams around here are pretty good, which is kind of fun. And then are you going to be into the USFL at all? I doubt it. I'll probably peek at it just a little bit. Uh, but, you know, man, fake football doesn't do a lot for me. Yeah, see, and they still – what's weird about this, because it's a big deal in Birmingham, because for those yeah, that don't Birmingham know – Stallions. Well, all eight teams are going to be based and play in Birmingham this spring. Oh, okay. Okay, so yeah, it would be a big deal. Yeah, I mean, they're anticipating it's going to bring something like $20 million to the city and stuff because of all this. And I mean, it's they're all eight teams are coming here. And what's weird is they've they've named the coaches for all these teams. Nobody this thing starts in April. It's supposed to start in like 2 months. Nobody has any idea who's on any of the teams. And I find that really weird that they haven't announced the rosters or anything yet. Yeah, I mean, where are they coming from? I, I don't. It's going to be, I imagine it'll be very similar to the XFL rosters. And that was one thing about the XFL is I remember we gave it a try. 
And the problem with the XFL, and you probably remember this too, the quarterback play was horrible. I mean, it was so bad that it, it almost made it unwatchable because the quarterbacks were just atrocious. Well, that's the problem, man. You can't find 32 NFL quarterbacks. Right. And so the top 96 quarterbacks in the world, give or take five or ten, are in the NFL. And so you're starting off with, you know, quarterback 90 or 85. I mean, good luck with that, bro. I know, man. So that's coming up. I mean, that's one of those things. And I obviously – I mean, they're doing a deal here where the inaugural game – is at the new stadium here in Birmingham that they built for UAB, and it's gorgeous. I mean, it is a brand-new facility. But the inaugural game for the USFL is April 16th, and it's Birmingham, and I think it's the New York Generals or the New Jersey Generals or whatever they are. It's $10 per ticket, and children 15 and under get in free. All right. So I was like, you know what? I mean... If it's going to be 10 bucks, I'll go check it out. Why not? Like in the middle of the spring when there's nothing else going on, I'm, it's a 75-degree day in Birmingham on a Saturday. I'll go watch a little semi-pro football and, and try to get a vibe for 10 bucks. Something to do. All right. I ain't mad at you. And, you know, I'll probably think it'll be lame and, and not be very good product, <laughs> and I'll leave at halftime, but we'll see. Hey, man. Maybe the beer will be good. It'll keep you there through the third quarter. It, it ver- there is a very good possibility that that could happen. Yes. <laughs> All right, guys, enjoy the front part of your week, and we will talk to you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session Podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle, so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.